In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. In the eighth chapter of Romans, St. Paul writes that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. We love the eighth chapter of Romans. It begins with that great proclamation that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it ends with the embracing comfort. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? In between, some stuff we don't understand. We kind of skip over that to get to the good stuff. Or at least that's the way we treat it. And perhaps one of those things is this statement, which on the surface seems nice. Maybe a little trite, not altogether practical, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us someday. And yet this is a soaring statement about the sure and certain hope that is granted to all Christians, the eternal inheritance of every sinner who has put on the righteousness of Christ by faith in His finished work on the cross. But to understand this soaring statement, we must rightly understand suffering, and we must rightly understand glory. Suffering is perhaps the easier of the two to understand. We can always find people who have it a little, a little worse than we do. But to say, therefore, that, that we really don't know what it is to suffer is to belittle or even anesthetize or deny that we really do endure suffering. Not inviting you to a pity party. But each of us has suffered. Or is suffering in some way. It's spiritual or it's physical. It's moral. It's financial. It is vocational or relational. God seems absent or even apathetic. We have cancer. Or a very dear loved one does. We have an addiction. Or a loved one does. We have a serious financial problem. Or a family member does. And if that's the case, they're probably inviting us to join them. As he's writing, I think St. Paul probably has in mind the suffering that he and other Christians of his era endured Because of their Christian faith. And if you have a friend or a family member who is hostile to the Christian faith, then you know something of what he's talking about. And yet there is no type of suffering that is standing outside 
of this verse. Because we live in a broken world and we all suffer. And in fact, all of creation groans with suffering, says St. Paul, and he's not exaggerating. You think about the tornadoes of a year ago, tsunamis, earthquakes, disease, or heartache, you, just, you name it. All of creation groans because all of the systems and the cycles of creation are broken and unbalanced by sin. Just as in the very beginning all of creation quivered in anticipation of the creation of humanity as creation's crown. So now all of creation groans in anticipation of the reconciliation of humanity with God. All suffering is in some way related to sin. And we all suffer. Our suffering demands every ounce of our attention. It tempts us to fear and anxiety. It disorders our perspective and causes us to ask short-sighted questions like, why me? Or, can God really be good if this is happening? Suffering takes a lot of forms, but in whatever form it takes, it can exhaust us and make us to feel isolated even when we're not And make us hate our lives. Even if it's just for a moment. But Paul says, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Let me tell you, the things that we suffer in this present time matter. They matter. And in fact, they are very much a part of what Jesus died for. And yet, if this suffering has such power as to grab us and take hold of our lives, and even such power to contribute to the death of the Son of God, then what must such glory be that makes this enormous suffering disappear in comparison? We have received the full and total forgiveness of our sins on the cross. But as if that weren't enough, St. Paul says, uh, we have only yet received in part what we are promised in Christ. And what we have received in part, we will receive in full with the redemption of our bodies at the return of Christ. Christ is risen, and so we shall be too. The glory of God, which is given to us, in us, given into us, the glory of God stretches from our salvation to redemption and on into eternity. See, we who were enemies of God, And rescued from our own sinful condition, quite apart from what we were even able or capable of wishing for ourselves. We are made children of God. Not stepchildren, 
Not neighborhood children who come in and sort of rummage through God's refrigerator looking for treats. We're His children. We are adopted by grace. We are offspring of the Almighty. We are now heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, participating in His resurrection. And we are heir of equal glory with Jesus Christ. And the truth of what we have already received in the forgiveness of our sins is a towering truth. And yet we can look at our own lives and we can know that total forgiveness doesn't drown out the suffering and the brokenness of our lives or of the world around us. And yet we also know that the truth of what will be our inheritance, the reality of the glory that is to be revealed to us is beyond any mental or emotional or symbolic categories uh, that we have to imagine. But we know that it will be so sweet that the bitterness of our present sufferings will be forgotten will fade away with nothing but a faint recollection of gratitude that God would have prepared us for such glory in that way. I've got some friends from my previous parish, a wonderful couple, who lost their third child in an automobile accident when he was 18 years old. And the grief, of course, was uh, intense. And prolonged. And in many ways still continues. Uh, Holidays and birthdays. uh, The anniversary of the accident. It's all very difficult. As as you can imagine, some of you can relate to that uh, directly. And yet, uh, as this couple leaned into the Lord for His mercy and His comfort over the years, there uh, there developed a very real sense In which they were not simply at peace with their grief and with their suffering, but they were grateful for it. They wouldn't trade it. And they were Christians before the accident. But it was in the context of suffering that they tasted the sweetness of the Lord's goodness. It was like the difference between uh, really and truly believing everything you've heard about honey and tasting it and enjoying it. See, there was glory on the other side of their suffering. And friends, I want you to know that is just a glimmer, just a, a shadow of what is headed our way. Because the sufferings of this present time, they're not worth comparing. I mean, they're enormous, but they're not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Can you imagine what it's going to be like after the return of Christ? To have relationships with other people. Think about our families, where sin is not even possible to be in the mix. No tears. No frustration. No broken 
communication, no estrangement. Can you imagine what it's going to be like upon the return of Christ? To be so full and complete in Christ that we're actually like Christ in all His eternal splendor? Don't think of yourself too much in in that way. We can fool ourselves into thinking that we deserve it. C.S. Lewis said that such thoughts of our own future heavenly glory are a load so heavy that only humility uh, can carry it and the backs of the proud will quickly be broken. And yet glory is God's promise. It's not earned, but it's given in mercy. It's not deserved, but it is bestowed by grace. That we who were of our own right, uh, His enemies, by right of our own sin, that we have been made through the cross His children. And we have been given through His resurrection to be heirs of His own glory. And it is with such a promise from God on high that we can be sure that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing the glory that is to be revealed to us. Thanks be to God. Amen.